Bills on my mindset, I can't deny they're getting high. Higher than my income, income's breadcrumb. I've been trying to survive. The glow that the sun gives right around sunset helps me realize that this is just a journey. Drop your worries, you're gonna turn out fine. Oh, it's turn out fine. But you gotta keep your head up, oh, and you can let your head down, hey. You gotta keep your head up, oh, and you can let your head down, hey. I know it's hard, I know it's hard to remember sometimes. But you gotta keep your head up, oh, and you can let your head down, hey, hey, hey. I got my hands in my pocket, taking these rocks. It's kinda hard to watch life go by. I'm buying to skip this, skip this mess with confidence in my eyes. I'm seeing all the angles, try to get tangled. I start to compromise. My life is a purpose, or worth it? Am I gonna turn out fine? Oh, turn out fine. Oh, turn out fine. But you gotta keep your head up, oh, and you can let your head down. comes around again, I say only rainbows, after rain, the sun will always come again, and it's a circle, circle, and it comes around again, it comes around again, you gotta keep it up, Welcome to Waypoint. My name is Blair. I'm glad you're here. It's fun to have an encouraging song, right? And most of us would like to have a season in life where you hear something like that and it lands and encourages you to, to like keep going. I'm going to press forward. I can do this. It's going to be great. What happens when you run into a season where people give you that kind of encouragement, but you feel like what you're carrying around in you is a black and blue heart. 
Like where, like you've been holding on, you've been trying to keep your head up, you've been pressing forward, and you're tired. You're not sure if you can hold on much longer. You're not sure if it's worth it. But those encouraging words sound good. You'd like to feel that way. How do you get there? Well, oddly enough, I want, I want to talk about the kind of persistence that could actually lead to a place in your life where you could keep your head up. And I, I want you to remember we're talking about prayer. We're, we're talking about um, a type of prayer that you could use that could actually lead to that place in your life where your head is held up and you're okay. I told you last week that we would come back to this. I needed to spend more time on it. We touched on it briefly last week. It's the type of prayer where you ask God for help or for your needs to be met. And I think that type of prayer, the reason we're going to spend so much time on it is there is so much confusion around that style of prayer. Uh, people pray and ask God for things, ask for needs to be met, and they assume that the only real answered prayer is if I get what I prayed for. And so they pray expecting to get what they wanted. And when they don't, it's frustrating. Uh, some people are afraid to pray and ask for needs and help because they think it just sounds too selfish. And so instead of praying for themselves, they just pray for other people. But they don't know how to approach this idea that I would ask God that would have anything to do with me or my personal stuff. I, even others, they pray and they're not sure if they should be praying for this or that. And so they kind of cover it. They cover it by saying at the end of it, if it's your will, God, as if, God would do anything that wasn't his will if you asked nicely. Like, it doesn't matter how well you put together your request. If it's outside of something that God wants to do, that's his will to do, he's not going to do it. And I think there's other group of people, too. The people who have wanted to find a way to keep their head up, but they are so tired. Their hearts feel so black and blue that they just stop praying. It doesn't seem to matter what I ask. It, it seems to fall on deaf ears. What is the point of this exercise of praying this way if God's not going to hear me and respond? So th this, is, this is kind of important stuff that we're going to pick up because there's a lot of misunderstanding around this, and I'm hoping that we can give some clarifications today. And we're going to do that by going to a section of the scripture where the disciples asked for help. They actually went to Jesus and they said this. This is in Luke chapter 11. This is verse 1. Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. Now, if you're wondering what John taught his disciples, we have no idea. Um, it's, it's not included anywhere. I'm actually going to talk about this next week because there's, it's obvious that John was teaching his disciples something. Jesus' disciples were aware of it and wanted some instruction too. That would have been a little odd in this culture because there was a very specific way to pray. And obviously, John and Jesus were teaching something that was out of the ordinary um, from the culture. And we'll, we'll mess with that next week. But his disciples went to Jesus and said, we want to be taught how to pray. And this is what Jesus does. He gives the pattern of the Lord's Prayer. Um, we've, we've talked about in the past before. 
And then he goes into this whole thing where he talks about what it means to ask God for help or for your needs to be met. And oddly enough, he says there's a big problem with it. The problem is that you and I are not bold enough and persistent enough when we ask God for stuff. That's the, that's the point he's going to make. Now, he's going to put some boundaries with it to help us understand this. There's a lot that's going on here. Jesus talks about the type of asking. He tells it in a story, a cultural story that we're going to have to understand. And then, he, and then he does some more stuff with it, and then he wraps it up in a way that is, is not what you expect. And I think we need all of those pieces together for us to have a really good understanding of what it means for us to go to God and ask boldly, persistently, so that we could keep our head up. So that's what I want to do. I want to get right into it. And we're going to go and we're going to start looking at verse 5 where Jesus starts to tell a cultural story about the type of prayer where you ask for something. And he says this, suppose you have a friend. This is verse 5 of chapter 11. Uh, Mitchell, a couple weeks ago, talked about the different types of love, and one of them was a friendship type love, where it's not just some casual knowing of somebody, like you have relational familiarity, you know about them, they know about you, you spend time with each other, that's this. This is a neighbor or somebody that you've counted on over a period of time, and Jesus says, you've got a friend, somebody that you have a really good relationship with, and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. Now, um, this is super ironic. There's a lot of irony in this whole story. It's meant to be there on purpose. Um, a request for bread from a neighbor in this culture was not uncommon. In fact, Jesus is going to give a reason for it in a little bit. The thing that's weird is the time of day. It's at midnight. Who, who eats at midnight? I mean, some of you do, right? But should you? That's a different question. But, but in this culture, life revolved around the sun coming up and the sun going down. And you might stay awake for a little while after the sun went down. You'd sit around with your family around a campfire. But I want you to understand, this is how um, the houses were different through Israel, but they were similar in one way. So in the Galilee area, you would have a family compound where maybe a hundred of you who were related would all live on the same compound. But on that compound, you would have your own little square uh, box. And that's where your family would call home. And you would go in there, it would have a door on it, and that's where you would sleep, that's where you would go with your family at night. In the Nazareth area, there, there would have been caves that people would have used. And in the back of the cave, you put your animals, kind of in the middle of it, you had a place where you cooked. And at the front of the cave is where you all slept. Now, in other parts of Israel, there are just single-family homes. And what I mean by that is you just have a, a, a rectangle built of rocks with a little thatch on the top of it, and that's where you all slept. It was a single-room, single-family home. And when you went to bed at night, you would take out... Um, a straw mat, you would lay it down, and your whole family would get on that mat and sleep together. You did not have blankets. You had a, a coat, a cloak that you used to keep warm. 
You would use that, and you would use being close to everybody else to go to sleep. Now, now when you understand that that's what's happening, like it's family sleep time. Anybody else creeped out by that right now? That is just making my skin crawl, right? Okay, family sleep time. But at midnight, when this friend goes and says, hey, give me some bread, and he wakes up dad, who else does he wake up? Everybody else. It's like, it's inconceivable. So Jesus is telling a story. It's like, you went to your friend for bread, that's believable. But the circumstances that you're doing it in has to be an emergency. And, and Jesus kind of reveals it's, it's an emergency. In their culture, it would have been kind of an emergency. But even then, a, a bit ridiculous, because this is what he says. This is verse 6. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. In their culture, hospitality was an expectation. When somebody came to you and asked for water, asked for food, and they were traveling through your community, and you didn't provide it for them, not only would you look bad, the whole community that was associated with you would look bad. They would not let that happen. So if somebody came to you, if suddenly visitors, friends came in, and you didn't have bread, it would have been acceptable for you to go to a neighbor and say, give me some bread for my guest. And it would have been produced instantly because their whole reputation of being hospitable was on the line. That's normal. What's not are people traveling at midnight. You didn't, you didn't do that in the ancient world. It's a good way to die. It's a good way to lose all of your possessions. Be out that late at night. And so there's just some parts of this story that are just so ironic. Like, yeah, you would, you would actually give bread out in this situation. But midnight? That's a little weird. Um, what's happening here? Well, Jesus goes on to say, and he, and he, he says, suppose this. So again, he's telling ironic things, and he's about to say another ironic thing. Suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I'm telling you right now, that would have been a mind-boggling thing for them to hear from a neighbor under this circumstance. What do you mean you won't give me some bread? I know it's midnight. I know it's ridiculous. In fact, they probably should wait till the morning. And if they waited in the morning and you came and you woke up as the sun came up and you said, hey, my friends, my guests are here. I don't have any bread. You would give it to them instantly. There would have been no problem. But this is shocking for him to suggest that his friend would say, I can't. And by the way, I think it's really important. He says, I can't. Have you, have you ever said, I can't? To somebody in your family when it was really I won't and then they called you on it you can't what's preventing you from not being able to do this and then you have to explain why you didn't want to do it and it really was I don't want to do the dishes not that I can't do the dishes and now you're in real trouble now the guy knocking on this door knows that he could get up if he wanted to that I can't is not an answer. So he pounds on the door. 
pounds on the door for an answer. And then Jesus says something that's really, uh, it caught me off guard. Maybe it'll catch you off guard. He says this in verse 8. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship. Wasn't that the reason the guy would get up and give you the bread? Because you're friends. Isn't, wouldn't that be the motivation? But I started thinking about this. Let's say tonight, around 11.30, I get the munchies. And I go down and I want to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. I'm going to toast the bread because I love it that way. I'm going to get out a little marmalade jelly. I'm really excited. And I find there is no bread in my house. It's 11.30. And I, and I remember Austin and Morgan are my friends. And I realized if I drove over to their house and knocked on their door, I could get there by midnight and they could get me some bread. I would not take into consideration that they just had a baby and they'd like that baby to sleep at night. I am thinking about the bread that I want. And I'm concluding that if I went over there and I made all of this, that out of friendship, he would give me the bread. How many of you are thinking the exact opposite? If you're his friend, you wouldn't do something obnoxious like that. You wouldn't go knock on his door in the middle of the night, wake up his baby, wake up his wife, mess that whole thing up just for you to get bread. A friend wouldn't do that. And that's what Jesus is kind of making the point of here. He's not going to give you the bread because you're friends. This is such an obnoxious time to do this. If you would just wait a little bit, you could get the bread that you're looking for. Then he says this. He says, yet, because of your, I love this description, I love these two words, your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. He's not going to give it to you because you're friends. He's going to give it to you because you had the boldness to show up at his place, knock on his door at midnight, and ask for that. And because you did that, you'll end up with some bread. It's not because your buddies. He's going to talk to you about it tomorrow, right? You say, what in the world were you thinking? Couldn't you wait? But because you were willing to be shamelessly audacious, he'll consider it. Now, I don't don't know about um, some of you. Some of you, your personality just got excited because you're like, wow, I can be shamelessly audacious with God. I'm going to tell him everything that I want and need, and I'm just going to go for it, and you're all fired up. And then there's other of you who are like, oh, my word. I can't imagine being that rude, being that pushy, being, I can't imagine doing that with another person, let alone approaching God with that kind of attitude. This can't be right. How in the world can he be calling us up to shameless audacity with God? Well, he he puts flesh on it. He's going to go into a section of scripture where he's going to paint a picture where he's going to use three pairs of words. And because we've not been careful with this over the years, we've read through this little section of verses and we've assumed they've all been talking about the same thing. They are not. There are three different ways 
that God is looking for us to ask for needs and bring stuff to him. And there's three different responses that he has to those styles of those, those ways that we ask God stuff. So I want to read it to you real quick, and then we're going to have to spend some time explaining it. He says in verse 9, So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. And then verse 10, For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. And that's where it gets messy. Because people read this, and the idea that comes into our mind almost immediately when I read, if I ask, I'll receive, is that I'm going to get what I prayed for. That that's what, that's what I'm going to be given. And the question is, no, really, what will you be giving if you ask? If you go to God and you shamelessly, boldly, persistently ask for something, what will you be given? There's actually an example of this in the scripture that I think is really helpful. I'm going to take you to 2 Corinthians um, chapter 12. Something is going on in Paul's life. And he boldly approaches God and asks God to do something about this thing that's personally affecting me. And this is what he says in verse 8 of chapter 12. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. What's it? Well, if you go in and pay attention to the scriptures that bef that's before this, there was some sort of burden, physical burden, that was happening in Paul's life that he thought was limiting his ministry. Like, I, like this is really causing problems for me. If this were gone, my ability to be more effective would be just astronomical. So God... Take this thing away. A lot of people think it was his vision. Nobody really knows for sure. But they think he was going blind. And so he, he pleaded to God, fix this. Help me see. And three times he found himself pleading to God, this is important to me. Please do something about this. Verse 9, God said to him, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. When you ask, what will be given is an answer. The answer could be yes. The answer could be no. The answer could be not now. And that's part of the problem. For many of us, the prospect of hearing no or not now in our minds, they're the same thing. And we don't want to risk that, so we don't ask boldly in the first place. We don't put it out there. You know, you know what I've learned about asking? Um, I, do, I've, um, I do this some with God. I'm, I was convicted this week that I'm not doing this enough. And so I've started changing the way I'm talking to God about some things that I really deeply care about. So this is really helpful for me. But I've realized over the course of my life, I've become really comfortable with asking people for like shamelessly audacious stuff. Because what I've discovered is that the worst that can happen to me is that they say no. They don't hate me. My circumstances didn't get worse. They didn't get better. But they didn't get worse. And all that happened was that they said no. And on 
rare occasions, people say yes. And it's shocking. I don't know if you, all of you know this or not, but when we went to build this building, we, we did a ton of fundraising, and we were short by over $300,000 with no prospect. Like, we had tapped everything that we could possibly tap. We were out. And we had decided we just really didn't want to take out a loan um, because it caused all kinds of problems. And so we felt really stuck in that moment. And I had this crazy idea. And I approached this group. Uh, it was a foundation in our area. And I asked them to give Waypoint a $300,000 loan at 0% interest. Who does that? They did. The next day, they said yes. They could have said no. It wouldn't have changed anything. But, but that's exactly what God's getting at. I want you, the, the reason you would ask boldly like this, that you would bring stuff to him about your life, about other people's lives, and you would say, I, want, I really need your help with this, is it reveals your dependence on God. If he says no to you, your dependence on God didn't go away, it just changed. It's still there. You're still dependent on him to get through the circumstance that you're now loaded with. And you can ask, I want this gone, I want this taken, I want this taken away from me. But because we live in this culture where no and not now mean the same thing. By the way, I raise kids. And every time I would say to them, let me think about it. They would say, we know what that means. That means, no, you're not going to do it. No, it really meant I was going to think about it. But if they didn't get a yes immediately, they responded as if everything bad had happened. And I'm telling you, we do this with God. And what God said is, listen, if you'll come to me boldly, if you'll ask for incredibly ridiculous things, I will answer you. I'll give you an answer. And in some cases, it'll reveal like your dependence on me resulted in a yes or I'm going to say no because I need you to be dependent on me in a different way. Or I'm going to say, not right now. I understand the plan that's unfolding with my life. Will you just be patient? Just be patient. It's why, by the way, it's important that you practice some of these things that we're talking about, these different types of prayers, uh, because if God's going to speak to you and be able to answer you, you've got to be available to hear back when his spirit communicates. And so when he says, yes, no, not now, you're just reliant on him, and that hasn't changed. He says, I want you to ask, be bold. Be persistent. Be shameless. I will give you an answer. Now, the second pair, he says, I, I want you to seek. And this is a little bit different. This is not, I'm going to ask you to do something for me or ask me to meet this need. This is, I don't understand something that's going on in my life. I don't understand if I should make this choice. I don't understand if I should take this job. I don't understand if I should take this risk in life. I don't understand what's happening in my own heart. Why do I keep making the choices that I keep making? I need some wisdom here. I need you to reveal some stuff to me that I don't get. 
And so I come to you and I seek clarity. I seek peace. I seek some form of wisdom that you can help me with. And he says, listen, if you come and seek me in this way, you'll find the answer. I'll help you. I'll help reveal the wisdom that you need. Um, this kind of seeking is meant to create a sensitivity in your spirit to the Holy Spirit. Like the Holy Spirit wants to guide, give you direction, give you wisdom, open up some insight into your life. But if we're not careful, what I have watched when we go seeking is that all we're really looking for is for God to reinforce what we already think and believe, what we want. And so we're not really sensitive to the Holy Spirit. What we become sensitive to are um, signs. There's signs everywhere. Like I, I was thinking about getting the job and I was in the restaurant and the waitress poured some water on the table and it looked like the logo of the company. So maybe I should take, I think that's a sign from God that I should take that job. Look, you want to take the job, just say that. Or I saw it in a cloud. It was, it was, Something that caused me to think, oh, I should do that. Or I heard a song or I read an article. This company was in the newspaper. This is a sign from God, as if that company's never in the newspaper. And you start seeing signs all over the place. And again, this is why these different types of prayer, by the way, we have cards out on the info center where we created that little acronym. If you need to take that home, there's a dice there where you can go and you can keep practicing praying in different types of ways because... The Holy Spirit will confirm in your spirit if that's the answer that you needed. See, this is, the, this is what's so like, maddening at times. If God wanted to, he could use a watermark on a napkin. He could use a cloud. He could use an article in a newspaper. He can do whatever he wants to communicate with you. But he will confirm that with his spirit. And if your spirit is not actually sensitive to God... It's just looking for confirmation for yourself. You'll miss out on how God would lead you because he says, if you will seek, if you will be persistent, if you will be bold in your search for wisdom, for peace, for knowledge from me, I'll answer. You'll find the wisdom that you're looking for if you're willing to seek for it. Now, the third one, the third pair is really um, very personal. It's knock. The, the reason the person is knocking is because they want to have an encounter with somebody on the other side of that door. They, they want to have some sort of relational interaction. So he says, when, if, you, if you want that with me, and you go and you knock on the door, if you're looking for a way to connect relationally with me, and you knock and you persist, I'll open the door. There will be an encounter between you and I. I'll, I will come through. Uh, I, I love the picture of this. Because, it, again, it's, that, it's in the context of this guy who comes at midnight and obnoxiously knocks on the door and says, this is what I want. Uh, by the way, I... I told you last week I took a year where I just stopped asking God for stuff. And the reason I stopped asking God for stuff was that ultimately this is what I wanted. 
I wanted God to answer the door, for me to encounter him, and for us to have something that was more and deeper. And I could have been, and should have been asking for that, but I didn't understand this section of scripture at the time, so I just stopped asking altogether. And I just want just to give you a little heads up. God is comfortable with you asking for these kinds of things. He has interest in you. And he has a desire to answer. But I want you to see how this ends because it's kind of a big deal. In verse 13, Jesus wraps up his teaching on this. And he's going to say something that you don't expect. He says this. If you then, this is about Boldly asking in prayer, if you then, though you are evil, leaving no doubt in God's mind where we stand with our motives, okay? If you're evil, but you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? That is not what I expected. The analogy that he's running right now is if you know how to give good gifts to your kids, then why wouldn't I give good gifts to you? But that's not what he says. If you know how to give good gifts, why wouldn't I give the Holy Spirit to you? That's because in every one of these situations, whether it's ask, seek, or knock, the answer is more of an engagement that you get with the Holy Spirit, period. See, we have concluded that for our prayers to be successful, we get what we want. And we've missed that if our prayers were really successful, we get the Holy Spirit. That our desire to, to ask reveals our desires and needs, our dependence, our need for God. And the Holy Spirit comes and gives you an answer that will cause you to depend on God one way or the other. That when you're seeking wisdom and he gives you an answer, it reveals your need for the Holy Spirit's wisdom in your life. That when you go knocking, looking for God, what he wants to deliver to you is his own spirit of God that interacts with your spirit, that gives you an encounter with God that's real and tangible. And all of that asking results in a relational connection that's deeper and more valued than you had had can ever considered in the first place. And where did it start? You wanted something. You had a need or a desire. And you took it to God. But if you have the right kind of thinking in mind, that out of this, out of this interaction that I get with God... I might not end up with what I wanted, but I could end up with more. More of God's connection in my life. Why wouldn't you ask? Why wouldn't you be bold? Why wouldn't you just put it out there and say, listen, I don't know what you're doing right now about this thing, but I deeply care about it, and I want you to tackle this. I'm revealing my heart to you, and it opens up a relational opportunity for me and God. That's what asking has the ability to do. And Jesus said, the reason, the reason you're not experiencing more of the Holy Spirit 
is because you haven't boldly asked enough from me because I would quickly deliver the Spirit of God to your life to minister, to change you, to inform you, to give you wisdom if you would seek and ask. In the next week, could you pick something bold that you'll start talking to God about and that you'll just keep going back to it over and over and over until you get your answer? And while you're doing that, will you put your radar up for how the Holy Spirit will engage your life during that time? Because you have the opportunity to see that relationship grow like never before when you ask boldly. Can I pray with you? God, I was convicted about this myself this week. There are big things that are on my heart and my mind, thought so big that maybe they're unrealistic. Maybe they're ridiculous. Maybe I shouldn't be talking to them, to you about them. But God, you, you want all of us. You want the dreams that we have. You want the things that we're concerned about. You want these hearts that some are just black and blue and they just feel like, I just don't know how I can go on. God, you're the answer to that situation. Your spirit can come and lift them. It will be the thing that holds them up and carries them on because they are dependent on you. And our asking only reveals that dependence. God, I ask that you would give us the courage to hear yes, the courage to hear no, the courage to hear not now, and to accept the answer from you. Give us courage to speak boldly. May the Holy Spirit be revealed in our lives. May he change us because of the way we pray. God, I ask for that in Jesus' name. Amen.